You're listening to The Frequency of Creativity with Melinda Harkerley. Welcome everyone to The Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. I'm your host, Melinda Har Curley, and to see how art can bring beauty and life force energy into your life, sign up for my newsletter at melindaharcurley.com. Today, I am so excited to have as our guest, the very multi-talented artist, Jennifer Kane. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Melinda. Jennifer, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because we live in the same area and I've been able, I'm familiar with your work over many years and as a witness to your development, it's really impressive because I have seen you try so many different art forms And it's just been so wonderful to watch you evolve as an artist. So let's start. Many years ago, I knew you as a realistic landscape artist. And Jennifer, is that where you really started? Yes. um, Well, I... In college, I was hoping to be a medical illustrator, so I did sort of painting and pre-med together, and I was always interested in science. Um, So I I was painting a number of different mediums and a number of different subjects, but uh, after I moved to Pennsylvania, I took a landscape painting workshop with a teacher from the Philadelphia School of Fine Art. And that's when that started. It was in the 90s. Um, And then I realized I could marry that together with my love of being outdoors and my interest in the things that were happening in nature. And I sort of thought of myself as a conservation artist because I like to go to places that were about to be developed or places that I saw changing and sort of commemorate the, the beauty of what was there. And I'm really glad I did that because things have changed so much over the years since I started painting landscape. Well, and Jennifer, the title of our talk today is Art Reflecting Climate Change. And it's just watching the trajectory of your work from from my observation, it seems um, your concern from the environment is a central theme through your work and in your development is still a focus. Yeah, it kind of evolved naturally out of that conservation landscape painting because I started studying about climate change in the early 2000, around 2012, maybe. And I could see things kind of changing and you know, locally. And I got interested in the science and I thought what better place to be to do that? Because my neighbor is Michael Mann and I have access to all these lectures on campus and these groups that are open to the community where they're presenting information. Jennifer, why don't you share with our listeners who Michael Mann is? So Michael Mann is kind of probably the most, um, 
the most notable American public spokesperson um, for the science around climate change. And he goes all over the world and all over the country talking about it and talking about it in radio interviews and giving lectures on campus. Wow, how fortunate that he's your neighbor and your interest, and then you can marry the science into your artwork. Definitely, yeah. Well, Jennifer, um, let's take a quick pause here, and we're going to have to take a short break. But before we do, can you please share with our listeners where they can see more of your work and find out more about you? Well, I have a website at jennifercaneart.com. You can go there and read my interview to kind of learn about my philosophy and see some of my landscape paintings. And um, also this summer, I will be, I'm an invited artist at the Central Pennsylvania Festival of the Arts, which will meet in person for the first time in two years. Mm. So definitely come and check that out this summer. It'll be in in July. And but for our listeners, that's in State College, Pennsylvania, in the middle of Pennsylvania. And Jennifer, how many um, visitors we? How many visitors do we have during the weekend? Um, last I read, it was about two a uh, hundred and twenty thousand people that come to the so show. So it's a quite popular and prestigious arts festival, and to be an invited invited artist. That's a reflection of a quality of your work. So stay tuned, everyone, and we'll talk so much more about Jennifer's work through her art uh, and her concern about climate change. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. We're back with the Frequency of Creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. Today, we're talking about art reflecting climate change with Jennifer Kane. So, Jennifer... Um, Let's talk about the evolution of your work, because before break, we talked how you started as a realistic landscape painter. And looking at your artwork today, it's hard to see the roots of that. So why don't you talk about, you know, the different art forms that you've explored and especially the unique work that you're doing today that is just so interesting. Thank you so much. Um, Well, I knew uh, like the issue was so complex and it could be a little bit heavy. And I knew I didn't want to do something illustrative. Um, I wanted to somehow capture the feelings that uh, around climate change. So, and as the work evolved, um, I realized I was taking the elements of my landscape paintings and I was trying to use the same, carry through some of the same tools and techniques. Um, Like I I painted my landscape paintings with a knife. So I brought that over um, into this abstraction and I was basically distorting the forms and colors of the landscape to bring into this abstract work. 
And I was thinking about using natural materials and then juxtaposing it with chemicals and plastic materials and things like that. And just uh, there's a chemical reaction in my work. So to me, that was kind of representative of some of the things that are happening in, happening in nature with chemical reactions. Well, and I, as an observer, have a chemical reaction within me when I look at your work. <laughs> um, and you recently had an exhibit at the Belfont Art Museum, and I was really struck with the diversity of your work. So in one exhibit, you probably had four, at least four different art forms that were all dramatically different and interesting. Well, um, it's to me, they're all very related and there were only two different, there were um, abstract works on paper that have the um, acrylic and the gold leaf and the chemicals. And then there were India ink and, and some of the India ink also had the gold leaf and the chemicals. Um, so to me, they were kind of all related. And I'm I'm trying to sort of capture the beauty of the things that are happening, even though it's sort of a heavy subject for me because I, I kind of know too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to just capture almost like a reporter would, here's what I'm seeing instead of um, some kind of cautionary message or something like that. And it's all all kind of, just commentary, so a lot of it comes up just subconsciously, but just commentary on uh, how I'm processing the things that I'm learning about. Jennifer, let's go back to what you just said, that you think you're processing, well, obviously, we're all processing things subconsciously. And you may or may not be able to answer this question. How do you think that you connect subconsciously with your art and how in the process that you go through, how do you think your subconscious gets made into some kind of physical form that we can all see and visualize and look at? Well, my mind is packed with all these facts um, and knowledge about the subject. So it's obviously too overwhelming to paint a picture about it. So I, what I'm doing is sort of automatic painting, um, painting for my subconscious. And then after I see it, I can totally see what it's about. And that's kind of where the titling and the presentation part comes in. And because I have a background in theater, I think of art in this theater context, um, such as there's a final push when you're producing theater where you're sort of finishing everything up and everything comes together as a presentation as a whole. And then it's really not complete until the audience comes in and sees the show, right? Mm. I mean, it's nothing until the audience is there interacting with it. So I kind of think of my, my work in the same way. And part of the trajectory of producing it, making it is just like, well, the middle part. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you get the ideas, you have to gather materials, you have a budget, you have a time restraint, and then 
you're you're making things and then on the back end you're you're assessing what you did you're titling it you're relating it to what you know and then you're sort of framing and pre- making it presentable and then hanging it and then the public comes and you're interacting with the public around it so there's actually so many different parts to this that is kind of behind the scenes and for our listeners, Jennifer, you have your Master's of Fine Arts in Costume Design from the University of Illinois and have worked in that area. And I never, boy, there's a big parallel between an art exhibition and a theater production. So thank you for bringing that to light. And yeah, the funny thing is I never really got painting until I did the theater degree. <laughs> and then I had, like, I had a format, you know, okay, now I understand all these different parts of this. And then you have your bachelor's of fine arts in art also from the university of Illinois. So you started with painting and then went to theater design and then you know, went on to uh, painting again. Um, I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago. And you said that you do automatic painting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, for the climate pieces that are the bright colors, I wanted to put my focus and be able to play with just a limited range of elements. So I decided on color for this for this series and also then the the gold leaf and the burning through the gold leaf but I I just chose a format so the parameters are it's the piece of square I'm doing it with this method and these general forms that I've pulled from my you know information bucket about climate change are going to come into play but the main thing that's different about each one is the color so I would actually mix, just keep mixing color until, until I found a color that really resonated with me and actually made me feel joyful because mm-hmm. I was kind of looking for a contradiction to the weight of all, all of this. Um, you know, I, that was just the way that I was processing it. And for our listeners, um, and I've had the privilege of seeing Jennifer's work, um, they are bright colors. There'll be a bright orange, bright green, bright yellows. And then that juxtaposed to the gold leaf is very beautiful and very interesting. And it goes just beyond uh, beauty in a physical form. And Jennifer, I have to tell you, I get like a Zen kind of Japanese feeling from those. And they feel serene. All this started with me practicing the Enso, the Japanese uh, practice of creating a circle with one. Okay, and I, listeners, I did not know this. I did not know (laughs) this ahead of time. So this is news to me as well. Yeah, so I started practicing it in ink, and then I started trying different forms, different mediums. What can I do with this? Can I do it with gold leaf? Can I do it with acrylic paint? Can I burn into the to the gold leaf with the Enso? And so there's a, this little baby series at the very beginning of this that has those circles in in the gold leaf. And um, yeah, I'm very influenced by 
Japanese art. And I love that you said that. Um, yeah, I, I had a thought about that. Go ahead. No, can you share with our listeners what an Enzo is, just so that we all understand? Yeah, so it's it's really considered a spiritual practice, I think. And it's um, a Chinese brush is used and they hold them sort of vertical and they load it with ink and then create a circle in one swoop. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of reflects the state of mind of the person creating it. And they might do that several times in a row as a, a practice for, for centering and reflection. And I'm not an expert on it, so I hope that's a good enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I'm not familiar with that term. I had not heard that before. Yeah, and I teach India inks at the Art Alliance in uh, central Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, so we use Chinese brushes in our practice in uh, when I was in college and undergrad for painting, Shozo Sato was there and I got to work with him in grad school. Um, he was um, he was creating Kabuki theater at the school where I was in Ooh. grad school. And we actually produced uh, Kabuki theater. And my first, the first thing I saw when I went to see the college before I even started to go to the University of Illinois was a Japanese tea ceremony. Mm. And it turns out Shoso is there. He had a Japan house. He was teaching the cultural practices and then in theater. So I, you know, I experienced it in undergrad and grad school, even though they were different disciplines. And then um, we went to the Indianapolis Museum of Art a couple of years ago. And there was a whole room there with desks where you could try the, um, the, uh, Chinese calligraphy and he was the person in the video demonstrating it to the Aww. room. Aww. And I was just, I just thought, Oh my God, I've totally literally come full circle here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Now I understand because when I went to your exhibit, it seemed all different art forms, but now I realize, excuse me, the core of it was your centering. And so, you know, you had these brightly colored gold leaf square works, but also the India ink. And now I understand because when I think back to the exhibit, the India ink uh, works also had this Zen calmness, centered kind of feeling. So you have this core feeling and then you're just expressing it in different ways. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's really a way of just getting in touch directly with what's inside and putting it out there on the paper. Very, very interesting. So Jennifer, you still paint outside you still put yourself in a landscape so how does that centering approach work when you're out in nature and how does that relate to your concern about climate change one of my students recently a private student um, I was demonstrating for her and she said oh I noticed that you took 
about 15 seconds before you put the paint on the, the surface. And I didn't even realize I do this, but it's like I'm taking a deep breath and centering myself. And then I'm totally, completely uh, uh, immersed in the, in my surroundings and responding to, to my surroundings. And it's, it looks like you're doing nothing when you're standing there. In fact, I think there's this romantic notion about being out in the wild landscape painting, but it's actually a, a deep work that's mental, physical, and spiritual. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm picking up on, I don't want to sound corny, you know, but I'm definitely totally immersed in being in that environment and reflecting on my canvas, what's happening in that interaction. Jennifer, you're not corny at all. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. <laughs> and that's why we call it exploring the energetics of art. Because what you're explaining, I've experienced myself. And we talk about this all the time on the podcast. And that's really the focus of this podcast is the process of artists and you know how as an artist are you connecting with your environment whether it be nature or an urban setting or where or the seashore them wherever you are how as an artist are you connecting with something outside of yourself and, and on the show, we just call it energy. And then how you as an artist, you connect with that energy, bring it through you and give it a physical form on the canvas. It's very important work. And sometimes it's thought of as a hobby or something, but I think of it no. as, more of, as no. being a, like a reporter and you're you're going even beyond reporting on something. You're actually being there at that place in time and experiencing it and then sharing it with other people. So it's, it's very deep work, I think. No, I'll attest. Yes, it is very deep work. And Jennifer, you could tell you do the deep work because it's reflected in your artwork. And I Thank can you. see it and I can feel <laughs> that makes it me very happy. <laughs> and I can sense yeah. it. So Jennifer, you don't, you have traveled a lot too. And so share with us different experiences that you've had in different locations that has helped inform your artwork. Well, I feel like when you get too comfortable in an, an environment, uh, like I've spent years making myself comfortable here um, but to really find out who you are and experience different parts of yourself, it helps to go to different places because you then have to survive, thrive, and function with a totally different surroundings that aren't of your creating. And it really brings out different parts of you and I think builds different parts of you. So traveling has been so important to me because I just had a tremendous amount of growth um, when I went to different places and did and painted outdoors, started my abstract work, was teaching different people that I'd never met before that are a, di a different culture, and met also met mentors that are still to this day 
a large part of my artistic life and uh, also helped me grow. Jennifer, why don't you share with us some of your specific experiences and some of the places that you have gone to and what you learned or found out about yourself through different locations? Well, I found out that I'm, I'm pretty capable. (laughs) Uh, That's obvious or you wouldn't be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I can make reservations. I can get myself places. I can rent a car. I can drive around. I can meet (laughs) new people. Um, Let's see, gosh, this is a a deep question. When I was in the desert is when I really started to develop these. um, And I had a magazine article about it calling them scorched art because I was making art, this abstract stuff outdoors in a hundred degree temperatures. Oh my goodness. When I put the chemicals on, it would just burn like create all these cool patterns and mm. then it would be windy and maybe sticks would fly across it and all these cool things were happening that were actually I felt like mother nature was was uh teaching me you know <laughs> this is how you do it and then um yeah and then I met a really important mentor out west um, who is still, I'm still in communication with now, who's been just so important to my development and really encouraged me to try a lot of different things. He would say, let's throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. So instead of feeling kind of pressure to stay in this one vein to be commercially successful, I was trying to find something that was felt more joyful to create because Uh, The landscape painting for me is like doing a very sophisticated math problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. The complexity of it can just put me in a really dark place sometimes because I'm working too, like I'm overreaching almost my, my um, abilities or not my abilities, but it's just very, very complex. And it's a lot of work to do a landscape painting that is at the level that I want to be at. Mm-hmm. So this other work gives me an opportunity to reach a part of myself where I'm actually like, I can't wait to do this. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so enlivening for me and uh, helps me just feel happy and positive. So I needed that to kind of balance out the difficulty of the landscape painting. You know, Jennifer, in listening to you, I love how you, bring you sound very balanced because there is as I said earlier a centeredness and a lightness of your work but then the underlying information that you hold within you all the statistics of climate change the science part of it and you very adeptly brought those two together to inform your audience, a perspective of climate change of, and you've married the devastation of it, but also the hope within it as well. So you've really balanced your work between those two extremes. It gives me so much joy that you get that. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's what, yes. Oh my gosh. That's just wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you are a dedicated artist and this is who you are and you've devoted your life to this. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it's just wonderful to watch. It really is. Where do you get this motivation, Jennifer, that, you know, you're so passionate about this and you're so, you know what you want to do and you're very clear with your purpose and your intention. Where does that come from and how has that developed over the years? Years of working toward that because I think both my parents are that way. And so it was kind of, I kind of felt both my parents are teachers too. Mm, Okay. And um, by the way, well, I was just kind of raised with this feeling of responsibility to be productive and to share what I do with other people. Both my parents are teachers and I, I think that teaching actually gives me that, that growing edge where um, when I know I'm going to have to lead others, I myself have to take things to a different level and I'm studying about things I'm teaching. I'm presenting things to people and I'm learning from the people that I'm teaching all the, all the time. I love that you say that you're learning from your students because it really is a two-way street. Yes. Yes. I never, I am not like the teacher saying, okay, I know everything and I'm going to bestow my knowledge upon you. It's kind of like, let's get in this space together and I'll share what I know. And then you can pursue your projects and, you know, we are constantly, we're, we're peers. We're yeah. peers. <laughs> Jennifer, and there's some wonderful people here taking classes. So I'm fortunate. Oh, and, Jen, and they're fortunate to have you as a teacher. Jennifer, before we close, is there anything that you want to share with our audience about climate change and your work in climate change? Or is there anything you want to say about that before we close out the podcast? Yes. Um, So Richard Mayhew came back to Penn State and gave a lecture in 2014. And he asked each of the people in the audience that were artists to choose some kind of a social, um, social cause to apply your work to, because that's what he was in a group in the 1960s that had done that around um, racial equality, probably he would call it. So I chose climate change and just decided to devote myself to that. And I have ever since. So I really would encourage other artists. That is another thing that will give you a sense of purpose because you're able to, um, even if you don't know everything about it, even if you don't can't talk about it uh, fluently, you are you are bringing energy to that subject and you're communicating with people about it, at least at the very least visually. And that gives you a really strong sense of purpose. And also, even if you're just throwing a pebble in the water, it's creating waves that reach all the way out to the edge of the pond. Jennifer, that sounds so beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And then before we leave, can you share with our listeners one more time where they can find out more about you and your work? Yes, you can go to my website at jennifercaneart.com. And you can also see me live at the Central Pennsylvania Festival of the Arts 
this July, first time in two years that will be live, and it's an out all outdoor event. And it, for our listeners, it's July. And for people that are listening from years <laughs> from now, it's July 2022. Yes, 2022. <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. I mean, it was just so interesting. And thank you for what you're doing and bringing attention to climate change in a joyful and informative way. Thank you. Thank you, Melinda. And thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being with us on the frequency of creativity, where we are at the intersection of energy and art. And follow Jennifer's advice. Pick a cause that is meaningful to you and focus on that no matter what your work in the world is. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.